join in imitating me. He lays out his life as an example that can be followed. And he contrasts that with these people that he describes as living as enemies of the cross. And as Paul talks, he says, join in imitating me. If, if we have this goal to be a community who follows Jesus, and Paul is saying here, look to the example of people who are living like Christ. Look to the example of people whose lives are patterned after the cross. The early church that Paul was writing to, they didn't live in an area where there were a lot of Christians around them. They didn't have examples of people around them that they could look to to see what it meant to follow out, to live out this new way of being a new creation in Jesus Christ. They didn't have um, great books that they could read by Christian leaders. They didn't have um, stories of, of people who were following Jesus. They didn't even have the gospel accounts written out for them yet. And so as Paul says, join in imitating me and others who live this same pattern of life, it's not because Paul is, um, has this giant ego and thinks that he has arrived. It's because he knows that people need an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That people need to be able to look around and see what it looks like to follow Jesus in this stage of life that they're in. To know what it looks like to follow Jesus as a middle schooler. To know what it looks to like to follow Jesus as a high schooler. To know what it means to faithfully follow Jesus in our singleness, to know what it means to faithfully follow Jesus in the different careers that we're engaged in, to know what it looks like to follow Jesus in relationship with other people. As a mother or a father, as a, a sibling or a child, as a friend or a spouse, to know what it looks like to follow Jesus as we age, to know what it looks like to follow Jesus as we deal with illness and loss. That at every point in our lives, we need someone to look to. Someone who has walked the path before us. Someone whose life looks a lot like Jesus. And so Paul says, join in imitating me to walk in the way of Jesus. He wanted a community, a people, whose lives were patterned after Jesus. And so he even invented, as, as far as we can tell, he invented his own word here, um, a word that you don't find anywhere else in antiquity that talks about um, joining together to, to, to copy or imitate. Because Paul wasn't just concerned about individual lives, following Jesus, he wanted a people, a community, the people of God to follow in Jesus's pattern of life. So Paul says, as in imitating him, to also observe other people around them, to observe their way of life, 
and to notice if it follows in line with the way of the cross or as he describes this, this way of living as enemies of the cross. That the people around us that we could look to and decide, are they patterning their lives after, their, after the cross or do they seem to be living in a way that rejects its call of humility and sacrifice, love and obedience? Because not everyone is walking in the way of Jesus and the cross. And as much as we can tell from this letter, it doesn't necessarily seem like Paul is just talking about people out. But even talking about within the church, that not everyone's life is patterned after Jesus. That oftentimes we can talk the talk and sound like we've got it all together and we know the ways of Jesus, but, but unfortunately it hasn't gripped us deep inside and transformed us from within. That, that our lives aren't being shaped and molded in the way of the cross. And so when Paul talks about these different examples, he, he says that he gives these contrasting examples that for the people who, who have rejected the way of the cross, uh, the end result of their life is destruction. The end result of their life is destruction while those who are following in the way of Jesus are awaiting salvation. We're awaiting a savior who will come from heaven. This language is the same kind of race language that Paul was using earlier in, in the book, in the letter, where he's talking about um, this goal that he has, uh, running a race, striving for, for this goal. And Paul is saying that, that those whose lives aren't being transformed by the cross, that the, the end goal that they're going after is, it's like as soon as they grab onto it, it's just going to crumble into nothing. The end goal of, of their life is, is destruction instead of salvation is destruction instead of life. And instead, what we see in Paul and those who follow his example are people who are pressing on towards the upward call of Christ. They're pressing on to this abundant life, this resurrection life that is offered in Jesus Christ. And on one hand, we have people who are simply subject to their appetites, to their belly is the, the term that Paul uses here. Where, where Paul and others are subjects of Jesus Christ, subjects of a savior. That, that the people who are, their lives are, are patterned after something other than the cross are being ruled by their, their desires. They're being ruled by their appetites, ruled by base impulses, celebrating just doing whatever they want, what feels good and right. No sense of self-control or a value on denying unhealthy impulses and appetites. But for those who are in Christ, instead of being mere subjects to our appetites and desires, we are subjects of a king. A king whose way of life heals us and frees us from the appetites and impulses that make us less than human and that cause us to live less than the abundance of life that he offers us. On one hand, Paul 
talks about these people who, who have discovered that, that they only can find glory that is actually their shame. Where we will find that our lowly or humiliated bodies will actually be conformed to be like Jesus in his resurrection, the glory of his resurrection. And so Paul echoes the, some of the language that he used talking about Jesus Christ who, um, who humiliated himself to take on our form, our human body, and then was glorified by God and given a resurrected body. And so Paul says that you've got on one hand people who just in their, their humiliation and brokenness, that's the only thing they can find to find glory. For those of us who are awaiting Jesus Christ, that our humiliation is going to be transformed into glory. It's going to be transformed to be like Jesus Christ. And so he sums it up by contrasting these examples and saying that on one hand, we have people whose minds are set on earthly things, where ours are set on heaven from where we await a Savior. The difference between being heavenly-minded or earthly-minded, focused on a kingdom that is even now passing away, or focused on a kingdom that is coming and even now has broken in and is being established here on earth. This idea throughout scripture that there are two ages, the, the age that we live in that is passing away and the age that is coming where Jesus Christ is going to be fully reigning in his new creation, the remaking of the heaven and the earth. And for us, we're living in that overlap of the ages. One is passing and one is here, but not fully here yet. And in this in-between, as Jesus is bringing the two worlds together, we live in this place we live in this place where there are two kingdoms that we can be a part of. And Paul talks to the Philippian church and is asking them to evaluate which kingdom they are citizens of. Are they, kingdoms of the, of the, are they citizens of the kingdom that is passing away and dying? Or do they see themselves as citizens of the kingdom that is coming. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven where we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This coming kingdom, he says, is our reality. This is what is more real than the world we see around us, more real than the passing away kingdom and age that we live in. I think this is a super misunderstood scripture in um, passage in scripture. Sometimes we have this image in our mind when we hear this, um, this sentence about us being citizens of heaven. Uh, we have this, this thinking that this means that we are part of some far away kingdom and world and that we are meant to live there. And because of that, we don't need to care about the here and now. That we're just waiting here until God comes and sees us. Almost like we have this idea of being on a sinking ship. And if you're on a sinking ship, you don't really care what happens uh, 
to the ship around you. You just want to make sure that that rescue helicopter gets you off before it goes under. But this is not what Paul is trying to communicate in this passage. Paul is using language here that the Philippian church would have immediately recognized. Uh, language that they would have recognized as describing the unique reality that they lived in as citizens of Philippi. Citizens of Philippi that was a colony of Rome. It was an outpost of Rome. It wasn't actually part of the city of Rome, um, but it had been granted the status of a Roman colony, which meant that it was filled with Roman citizens as well as non-citizens. Um, and it was there living in a, this city in a foreign land where citizens of Rome would embody the culture and the ways of the, the empire of Rome. They would um, celebrate the holidays of Rome. They would dress in the manner of Rome. They would have the laws of Rome that would govern their city. In, in every function, it was a, a small Rome in another land. And the citizens of Philippi who lived there, their goal, their understanding as citizens of Rome was not that one day they would get to leave Philippi and go live where they really belonged in Rome. No, their understanding was this is where the empire had planted them and they were living for their king in Philippi. They were bringing the ways of Rome to bear on the world around them. So that people could look to Philippi, if they came in, they would see what it meant to live in Rome. They didn't want to return to Rome, and Rome didn't want them to come back. And so this statement about being citizens of heaven isn't just hanging on until the Savior comes and takes us away, but instead it's language of us living here on earth, living as a colony or an outpost of heaven, as we await our Savior who is coming, who is going to come and enter into this world and remake it, just as we see um, Jesus being given this new body, a, a, a recreation of his body, that that is what he's going to do for the entire world. And so the, the readers of Paul's letter, they come across this statement, this reminder of being citizens of heaven. They've got to evaluate which kingdom do I belong to? Am I a citizen of Philippi and Rome? embracing its ways and customs, trying to, um, trying to be an emissary of, of this city and kingdom, or do I belong to another king? Do I belong to another king and another kingdom? Which kingdom's customs and ethics will I 
hold on to. The way of heaven or the way of this world? Where is our true citizenship? Because the reality is, if we are a people who belong to heaven, to the kingdom that is coming, then we don't need to conserve or preserve any kingdom here on earth. That we don't need to to try to hang on to the world as it is, because it's passing away and something better is coming. As citizens of heaven, we aren't tasked with preserving this world and any kingdom in it because these are not our eternal realities. The country we live in is not the pattern of what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to look like, and neither is any other country on earth that has ever been or will ever be. These are all passing away kingdoms, and our citizenship lies somewhere else. Instead, the church is a chosen instrument in the hands of God to establish within every nation, within every culture and people group, a colony or outpost of heaven to be a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of God's kingdom, his here and not yet kingdom. So do we as a church see ourselves as a colony of heaven? Do we see our primary citizenship as belonging to the kingdom of God? And if we do, will we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of disentangling us, disentangling us from the the commitments or the the feeling of responsibility or belonging to the ways of this world. That we would be able to let go of the ways of this passing away world that are not of Jesus Christ. The ways of living and treating one another that are not the ways of the coming kingdom. There is a a group of Jesus followers who has, for me, embodied this this lifestyle of being a colony of heaven, and this is the the Quaker people. So throughout um, this country's history, when uh, when the country was first being established and the Quakers were here, they really embodied this reality of seeing themselves as belonging to heaven and not belonging to America. And because of this, they knew that they would have a countercultural way of life. They knew that their customs and habits had to be radically different than the world that they lived in. And so in a, a, a country, a nation that was saturated with colonialism and saturated with slavery. They had this radically different way of living together. Their walk was different than the walk of the world around them. They were trying as best they could to embody the ways of heaven. And so they were the first Western organization to ban slavery within their midst. They were a people who not only 
uh, decided that the ways of Jesus needed to force them to free those they had enslaved, but they also paid reparations to those they had formerly enslaved, and they worked as a community to fight for abolition. And so they were living so out of step with everyone else in the world around them. And so within their community, you saw a taste of what heaven could look like, where there was true freedom and flourishing and where justice was being served. And then we see that, um, that the Quaker people also embraced um, having equality for women and fighting for women to have the vote, um, fighting to have as equals within the body of Christ with spiritual authorities. And then one of the lasting legacies of the Quaker people was their passion and zeal for peace in the midst of a world that doesn't know how to solve our problems without war. And so in, a, in the midst of, of a world filled with death and op oppression and injustice, we had this, this group of Jesus followers who decided that they would take up this call to view their citizenship as belonging to heaven belonging to the kingdom that was coming, and that this had to mean that their lives looked different, that the way they related to one another was different, that, that the things they spent their lives on would be different than the world around them, and that they would be this example to the world of what it could look like, what it could look like for this day when Jesus comes and fully brings his kingdom and its ways to bear here on earth. A taste of heaven. They were, in essence, practicing resurrection. Practicing the, the future way in the here and now. And the reality is that as the people of God, as we have tried to practice resurrection throughout history, there are so many times that we can point to where we have failed miserably, right? That in the midst of, of some shining examples throughout history, there's unfortunately a lot of pain and sorrow where our practice was, was really failed and flawed and broken. And so that's why we need this reminder from Paul this reminder of, of where our citizenship lies. Because we fail, we falter, we so often revert to the mindset of thinking that we're citizens of this world and embracing its customs and cultures instead of embracing the coming kingdom. And so we need this reminder. At this point in history, we need this reminder that we are people of the kingdom of God. We are people of heaven, not waiting to be rescued from this earth, but waiting a king who is coming from heaven to set all things right. And that we even now get to live out 
a small reality of what that future is going to look like. That this group of people here that God has brought together in Sarah Mesa, this specific people in a specific time and a specific place, is meant to be a, a very specific colony of heaven, a specific outpost of heaven, giving a glimpse to the world around us of what it looks like when we live in a way of forgiveness and grace, when we live in a way of justice and peace, when we live in a way of, of wholeness, where there's an abundance of life, and we're not going to get it perfect. It's going to be messy. We're going to fail. The people next to us are going to fail. At times, we're going to revert to an old way of thinking. And yet, every time we fail, that we come back to the Lord, and we find him directing our gaze back to the cross transforming our lives, our lives that so often get formed in the way of this world, that our lives would begin to be transformed. And that's why we're together on Sundays. That's why God has created this weekly rhythm, because he knows it's so easy to lose sight of the goal. And we need to be gathered back together to remember who we are and whose we are remember what kingdom we're a part of, to have our lives be presented again before the Lord, to be saturated um, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the one, the only one who was able to do that deep work within us so that together we can be that colony of heaven. And so this morning, once again, we have the opportunity to come before the Lord and to present our lives before him, knowing that in all of our failings, in all of our, our faults, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides within us and among us. And his goal and purpose is to form together a people would be a sign, a foretaste, and an instrument of his coming kingdom. And so this morning, would we hear that invitation from Paul through the Holy Spirit to pattern our lives after people who are living out that example of the cross, who are living in a way that lines up with the kingdom of God, filled with love, self-sacrifice, obedience, trust, and that together we would run this race well. So this morning I'm going to invite Pastor Beverly and Lori and the team um, if you could come back up to lead us. And would you, if you're able, stand this morning and let's, as we, um, let's respond together in prayer. Let's respond together to, to what it is the Holy Spirit might be prompting in your own heart this morning and what I believe the Holy Spirit is, is prompting for all of us together as a community. That this week, 
our lives would embody the reality of where our citizenship lies. So Jesus Christ, we stand here before you again with our eyes gazing on your cross. The cross where, where we see heaven and earth meeting where we see a God who loves us so much that he gave himself on our behalf. A God who longs to restore what is broken in humanity, who longs to restore what is broken in creation. And a God who is at work even now in us and amongst us doing that good work. And so, Lord, we, we stand before you as a people, as, as one small outpost of heaven here in Sarah Mesa, united together with the, the universal church, united together with other colonies and outposts around San Diego, this country, and this world. And we stand arm in arm, and we pray these words that you taught your followers to pray. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we live in a way that expects that you are going to answer that prayer in part through our very lives. And so this week, Lord, as we walk the streets of our neighborhoods, as we enter into our workplace, as we hang out with friends and family, as we gather together with other believers, Lord, give us your eyes to see, your eyes to see where you are inviting us to partner with you in your work of bringing heaven to earth. Empower us to live this reality out now, even while we wait and we long for that amazing day when you are fully going to transform the world around us, where death and destruction and sin will be no more, where pain and sorrow will be gone. Lord, we long for that day. And as we await that, that glorious return of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to fulfill the responsibility you are giving us to, to be citizens of that kingdom, displaying its ways in the here and now. Lord, may our neighborhoods be transformed. Lord, would our families be transformed? Would the city of San Diego be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through your people. God, for those of us who feel like we have nothing to offer, I pray that even right now, that there would be a confidence that comes from heaven that would fill us this morning. A confidence that comes from heaven knowing that your spirit is at work in us living alive in us. 
and that this would fill us with such an expectancy for the things that you want to do even this week. Lord, that we would be looking for opportunities to have conversations with people. We would be looking for opportunities to be a people who bring peace. We'd be looking for opportunities to be a people who, who care for the world around us, who provide for those who are in need, who are a friend to those who are alone. And for those of us who are just tired and exhausted, and the, the thought, the thought of, of being a representative of heaven is just too much for us. Lord, I pray right now that this time in your presence would be refreshing. And that we would hear from you that we can stop striving. And that we would, we would see this invitation from you of this out to walk alongside you this week and that where we see you move we would move and we would know you as the one who is is carrying that that burden carrying that yoke with us that we would find the the load being lightened this week as we walk with Jesus So God, take our lives, form us together to more perfectly display your kingdom. Fill us with your spirit. Send us out into the world. And Lord, we, we pray that you would do a good work of drawing all people to yourselves. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.